Good morning, everybody. So as I, as I drove in this morning, and by the way, it's, it's good to see all of you again. Uh, most of you know me and Sherry, and so we're glad to be here. I was thrilled as I drove in because I see your new signage. It's very attractive, but you made me actually want to change my message title. Let's see, can we go ahead and just put the PowerPoint up? Uh, and I'll, I'll just tell you from the back when to flip through the uh, slides in that. My, my, my title for today is You Can Be a Confident Welcomer because at Walmart and the grocery and wherever you go, you see people from all over the world. And I want you to know that each one of you has the capacity to be a gracious and kind welcomer to them. But when I turn and came into your parking lot today, your sign has, has I mean, it's five or six simple words. It just says, Eden Prairie, we love you. Wow. I just kind of wanted to throw my sermon out and, and, and preach based on that, but, but that's not a Bible text, so I think that would probably be a bad thing, right? Now, next Sunday is your annual missions day, and that's when you say, we at Prairie Hill love Nepal and China and Iran and whoever else. Good, please do that. But today I want to talk to you about loving Eden Prairie. And what that means. Now, now Joe mentioned this uh, last week. Sherry and I, we went to Orlando. We had two back-to-back conferences. We were there for a whole week. And we had an unwanted guest. Did any of you in the news hear about a, a, a fellow by the name of Ian? Yeah. Yeah. Now, we're Minnesotans, right? We have lived through lots of blizzards. This was our first hurricane. And we had a conference in this huge hotel center, and we had 1,100-plus people who had registered to come live. We wound up with 350 live guests and a lot of people over Zoom because we had wanted and registered attendance, and uh, we had one very unwelcome guest. So let me ask you a question. Do you have any unwelcome guests in your neighborhood? Your sign outside says, Eden Prairie, we love you, we welcome you, but is that all of them or is that some of them? What if some of the newcomers to Eden Prairie are Muslim? What if they worship at a mosque or a temple? What if they're Hindu or Buddhist? Are we glad they're here? What if they're not documented? What if they don't have legal papers to exist in this country or go to the work, the plant every day without a valid driver's license? Are we welcoming of them? Now, I'm not here to get political. I am not here to advocate any kind of immigration policy because, honestly, I don't know one that works. As a follower of Christ, I believe that there are many different positions you can hold on immigration and still be inside biblical obedience. But there's two different kinds of things. There's immigration policy and immigrant policy. Immigration policy is about laws and rules. Immigrant policy is about human beings. We, as people with various political beliefs, can think all kind of things about immigration policy, and that is a lengthy discussion that I think we should have. Immigrant policy is about human beings, and Jesus spells it out pretty clearly when he says, you shall do unto others as you would have others do unto you. 
And I believe that is something that we can all follow and live by. So next week, missions, sending people to the end of the earth, understanding that there are cultures that do not have a Christian witness among them, and we must send some of our best and brightest to share that good news. Amen. Keep it up. But did you know that it is not only the command of God to send believers to the ends of the earth to share the good news of Jesus Christ, but that he is commanding us to welcome foreigners and those who have come among us. Now, Jesus was asked, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus, he gave a two-part answer. He says, I won't just tell you the top one. I'll tell you the top two, right? What is the first and great commandment in the law? Yeah, amen. Pretty much love God. What's number two? Amen. When Moses gave that command, which Jesus says is the number two command in the Bible, did you know he was talking about? He was talking about foreigners. Let's look at Leviticus 19, verses 33 and 34. I believe God loves hearing his word, so would you, as you did just a few minutes ago, please read this out loud with me. When a foreigner sojourns with you in your land, you shall do him no wrong. You shall treat the foreigner who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were foreigners in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. When these words were written, the people had just come out of Egypt months ago. For 400 plus years, the people of Israel were treated uh, later on as slaves, but in the beginning just as kind of hick backwards farmers by the Egyptians. They had a very negative experience. God brought them through the Red Sea. He drowned the Egyptian army. He brought them to Mount Sinai. Moses gets the law. He comes down from the mount with the tables of stone. And over the next months, God explains to the Jewish people, this is the way that I want you to live as my covenant people And this command, among others, is what he says to them. And his point is, when you were foreigners in Egypt, you were mistreated and that did not go well for you. I want you to remember it. And now when the Philistine or the Moabite or the Edomite or whoever it might be today dwell among you, I want you to treat them as you treat your own. So... God has commands for us, and oftentimes we don't like them because, well, they go against what I want to do. But all of God's commands are for our good, okay? The Bible says you shall not steal. Well, I appreciate it when you don't steal my things, right? You shall not kill. Well, I would really prefer it if none of you kill me right? If we obey the commands of God, it's good for everyone. Did you know that if we obey this command to welcome foreigners among us, it's actually good for the church? Did you know that among the tens of millions of immigrants in America, reams of them are Christians and thousands of them are pastors? Let's put the next slide up here. These are five qualities that Christian immigrants bring with them. Now, the church in Europe has been in decline for a couple of generations. The church in North America has begun a decline. And most of us are aware that we're a bit grayer than we used to be, that our numbers are a bit smaller than they used to be. Many here in this church 
Many at the conference of mission leaders I attended last week said, my 20-year-old kids aren't interested in God at all, or they're interested in Jesus, they just don't do church. And in the time since COVID, there are people simply who are not coming back. We are seeing a decline in the North American church. But most Christians from Africa, Asia, and Latin America have five qualities that Europe and North America lack, the first of which is being momentum. When I was in China, we had the fastest growing church in the world, but by the time later in my years in China, Nepal took the lead, and they had statistically the fastest growing church in the world. Today, the honor goes to Iran. Under high persecution, the church in Iran is exploding and the church of God in Saudi Arabia is beginning to do amazing things. So people who come from the other nations don't have the idea of a graying church that's in decline. They see momentum and then they see youth. Many times, right here in the Twin Cities, I'll visit an American church that either has very few children or youth or none. They're empty nesters. There is no children's ministry, no youth ministry, and yet they are host to an immigrant congregation of young couples with lots of little kids running around. They have youth. A third thing they have is a higher birth rate. America doesn't have the lowest birth rate ever. Japan, Europe, much lower than that. But we have a reasonably low birth rate. Most of those, specifically our uh, Latino and African friends, have a higher birth rate of children being raised in a Christian tradition with traditional value systems. Fourthly, they have unshakable faith in the supernatural. There are Western theologians who aren't quite sure that Jesus rose from the grave, or that a man spent three days in the night of a whale, or that, you know, the the Egyptian army drowned in the Red Sea, or whatever. I have not met any pastors in the immigrant community that struggle with those things. They take them as acceptable fact. Now, if you are outside the Western world, outside North America and Europe, 80% of all Christians are some flavor of Pentecostal. Not because they went to a Pentecostal Bible college, but because they truly believe they have seen healings or dreams or miracles and have credible stories. When I was in Nepal, we had a meeting of pastors from many different denominations, and they said it it doesn't matter if you're a Methodist or a Lutheran or a Baptist or whatever. Everybody sees healings. Everybody sees miracles. And they're not leaping, jumping, sensationalist snake handlers. They talk about miracles kind of like I talk about laundry detergent. It's, it's just part of life. It's, it's not, you know, it, it, you don't have to get all worked up about it. This is just part of the daily reality of what God does. And as they come here, they have seen the powerful hand of God at work, and they expect to continue to see that. And lastly, they have theological and moral conservatism. Most of the time when an immigrant pastor contacts me, it's because they're looking for a facility, which is fine, and I'll chat with them. I'll usually attend their service. At a minimum, I'll have lunch or I'll have a Zoom with a pastor, and I'll just you know make sure that they're orthodox, they're not a cult or whatever. And beyond that, I'm pretty flexible, and I listen, and I ask a lot of questions. Number one agenda, this is not my agenda, this is their agenda. The number one thing they bring up, do not partner me with a church that promotes the LGBTQ agenda. 
That is their agenda. They are convinced that they know the difference between a boy and a girl and that it's not especially complicated. And this is a bit of contrast to some parts of the American church. My point, friends, to you is this. God is bringing from the nations people who are born again, who love God, who have seen God at work and expect God to continue to work, who believe in the miraculous power of God and actually live out the word of God, it is in the best interest of the church of Jesus Christ in North America and for this local church and others like it to want to see those Christian people succeed in their attempts to resettle to life in North America. And the way that we can best position the born-again church here to be in a strong place 100 years from today is to facilitate and welcome those people as they come and our engagement and our interaction with them. When we do that, we will fulfill Paul's command. This is Romans 15, verses 5 to 7. Put that up. And let's read this together. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ welcomed you to the glory of God. Welcome one another as Christ welcomed you. How did Jesus welcome you to the kingdom of God? Because you're worthy, because you're wonderful. We're all sinners. We don't deserve entrance. We nailed the Son of God to a cross. God says, even though you're not worthy, even though you're not good enough, I welcome you into my kingdom, and that is the way that God calls us to welcome others. Now, some of you are going to look at me and say, oh, yeah, Yoder, that's easy for you to say. You lived in China for 13 years. You can preach in Mandarin. You, you, know, you do this stuff in your sleep. We're just normal people. How are you going to ask us to do that? Let me suggest to you two analogies that will help you understand how you can be excellent as welcomers. Are you a submarine or a harbor? I hope you know the difference between those two. Now, When we lived in China for 13 years, we were submarines, which means we did a deep dive into culture in which we didn't function in English, we didn't use U.S. dollars, etc. But a harbor never goes in the water, sits on the land, welcomes the boats as they come in, and helps people in the process of coming off the sea and onto the shore. So... If you're going to love Chinese people in China, what does that look like? You had better speak Mandarin. You'd better eat with chopsticks. You'd better ride the crowded subway, and you'd better use the squatty potty. Now, Sherry taught at a university with 10,000 students. It was a massive campus, not one sit-down toilet. Okay, You want to love Chinese in China, you better learn the squatty potty. Now, for the last five years, we've been back to the United States, and it's a different animal. Now, of course, we're loving Russians and Latinos and all that, but we still love Chinese people. When you love Chinese in America, it's different. We went to a little town in South Dakota. Sherry had one of her students getting her doctorate in a STEM class. We took them to Perkins. It was her first time ever to have pancakes. That doesn't work with chopsticks. Okay? 
How do you help a Chinese? How do you love Chinese in America? Teach them to speak English, use a knife and fork, uh, drive a car, and use a sit-down toilet. Nobody pushes back to the fourth part. How many of you know how to speak English? About 20%. (laughs) How many know how to use a sit-down toilet? Yeah, better, huh? Okay, you have what it takes to be a welcomer. So the point of being a submarine is you got your own atmosphere, your own food, you got your own sewer, your own fuel, and you're going to do a deep dive and you're going to be down there for weeks or months and not come up for air. That's what crazy missionary people do, right? They learn languages, get passports, get visas, deal with hostile governments, raise money, raise prayer support, It's a lot of work. What do you have to do to be a harbor? It's a different bar. You can have boats from all over with different mother languages, big boats. You can have an ore freighter, an aircraft carrier, a tugboat, and a life raft, right? You don't have to speak all those languages. You don't need to know all the tech specs of the boats. You want to succeed as a harbor, you need three things. Love, humility, and flexibility. Love just means, I'm glad to meet you. I'm glad you're here. Humility says, I don't know anything about your culture, but I don't think mine is better than yours. And flexibility says, I don't know what's going to happen next, and we're going to roll with it. And so I want to share with you some practical steps that you can do not to do the missionary deep dive in the submarine, but to be a harbor who welcomes others. The first is simply to be safe. Now, in my second point, I'll tell you that the number two thing is to ask questions. You know, tell me how you grew up and all that. But there's a difference between questions coming from somebody on a first date that's just getting to know you and and the question of a prosecuting attorney. Where were you on the night of April the 13th, right? And we can tell. So the way that you communicate safety is the look in your eye, the smile on your face and your tone of voice, okay? When those Muslim minorities who wear a headscarf go to the grocery store, they get looks, and they're not welcoming looks. And you can identify by your look, by your tone, that you are a welcoming and a safe person. Many immigrants in this community are scared of you because they think you're scared of them. They believe you're afraid that they might be a terrorist, or that their cousin might be a terrorist. They're afraid you might turn them over to ICE or to some other government authority, or simply that you're just not very happy they're here. You can defuse that very quickly. Now, maybe you meet a Moroccan. You've never met a Moroccan before, but you can say, you know, I have Guatemalan friends and I have Russian friends, so I've never had a a Moroccan friend before. I'm so glad to meet you. You can defeat, or you can say, you know, yeah, I have friends that are going to be worried that you're a terrorist or don't have your papers or whatever. 
I'm so glad you and I, just the two of us, don't have to worry about that kind of things. You've defused it. You've let them know that you're a safe person and that regardless of anyone else, you're glad they're here. Number two is just be curious and ask questions. Okay, the missionary does a deep dive. They learn the language. They learn the culture. You want to be a harbor, a welcomer? You don't know what boat's going to come into your harbor tomorrow. And you may think, you know, God has called us to love Argentines and God gives you Ukraine. Or, or something else. You have to roll with it. And the beauty of it is you get to be an idiot, right? And, and, and this, this is ministry 101. I don't know anything about Moroccan culture. What was, just ask, what was it like to grow up in Morocco? What, what, what kind of school did you go to? What did you eat? What were your parents like? Did you have cousins? Ask them, how did you come to America? How did you meet your spouse? How are your kids doing in school? Ask this, what's difficult about living in America? If they know you're safe and you ask what's difficult about living in this country, they'll tell you, but you have to be ready to hear. Here's a question I would like you to get rid of. Where are you from? And please replace it with where did you grow up? Chinese would ask me, where am I from? Obviously, I don't fit. But if they meet each other, they wouldn't ask where you're from. They'd just say, where'd you grow up? When you ask, where did you grow up? It's a safe, non-threatening question that, you know, and the answer could be, I grew up in Maple Grove, right? Versus where are you from implies maybe we'd like to send you back. So learn to ask some very simple questions. And as you do, the people will understand that you actually care about them. Then another help, share a meal. Just have food. Could be your food. Could be their food. Could be, you know, pancakes at Perkins or whatever. The, the point is that as we eat, we're equals. We're peers. Bring your kids, okay? Adults have learned who their friends and their enemies are. Toddlers haven't figured that out yet. You get different toddlers together. They just play and it diffuses everything because they're having fun and, you know, usually they're cute. And it just helps to build bridges. And another thing is to be helpful and to know the most commonly needed resources. And I bullet pointed six. This is not an exhaustive list. But this is some of the things that people need. International student ministry says people are here for a semester, four years, six years, one year, whatever it is. And they're studying in English. And most of them are never invited to the home of American for a meal. We had Chinese over to our Sherry students, 1,200 of them, not all at once, but uh, over to our home for sloppy joes and pasta salad and brownies, and they loved it. You know, they, they took pictures of our refrigerator magnets. They took pictures of our pictures. It was fun just to be invited, okay? Um, a second is teaching English as a second language. There are many immigrants, including pastors, who speak very limited English. If you would just sit down with them with simple, even Bible-based tools, not the Bible itself, but Bible-based tools, you can learn to do that. Third is church partnerships. That's my sweet spot. That's where I've been working for a long time. Making disciples of followers of other religions. Now, many would say, I want to witness to my Muslim neighbor or, or the Buddhist at the office. Let me encourage you, that is not as simple as it sounds. That's like saying, I'm going to climb Everest. 
easy to say, but you know right away that that's not something you're going to do in five minutes. There are those whose life's ministry is given to sharing Christ in such ways that Muslims and others from gospel-resistant cultures come to faith, and they're here in this city, and if you want, I will introduce you to them. Refugee resettlement, there is a 90-day process of a lot of paperwork to get done, of getting kids into school, a place to live, but beyond the 90 days, there's a whole lot of things. Of People come here having never used a thermostat, a can opener, things that you would take for granted. It's just not part of their world. And they just need help with buying and selling used cars and mortgages and all kind of, how do you drive in snow? They would love to hear. Legal services. There are people who are here, they're in the process of getting their papers, but they've got a spouse, kids, parents, cousin in the homeland. They want to get them here. Getting the papers done is expensive, tedious. If you take a 40-hour online course with the Department of Justice, you'll become a trusted agent that can do 90% of the paperwork that they need. The remaining 10% needs to be done by an attorney. And there is a church in Bloomington that has set up an ILS center that not only helps people get documented, but partners with ethnic churches. So as they get loved, they get plugged into a church that worships in that language. These are a few of the things to do that. Let's, let's put up the next slide here. This is, I, I collect websites. This is our latest website, www.imcon.church. It, it stands for Immigrant Ministry Connections. And as you look at all the pretty pictures there, on our website, we have over 500 ministry agencies listed. They're by state, they're by metro area, they're by Canadian province, so that you could find anybody in your community that is serving the immigrant populations. And so if you know a friend in Cleveland, you know somebody in San Diego, or you want to learn what it takes to just get started. We've got a page on here called 15 Best Websites for Immigrant Ministry Beginners. I've never done ESL. How do I start? I don't know how to work with refugees. How do I start? You will find all kind of stuff. On this, in the Twin Cities directory alone, you will find a Spanish-language Christian radio station, a ministry that says that many who have come here did not work for 10 years, get their 40 quarters in, they're not qualified for Social Security and Medicare, and is providing for the material needs of older immigrants who do not, they don't fit within our system. You will find those who pray and work for the evangelism of Muslims. You will find those who work with legal documentation because this is a large metro area with a lot of great resources. If if you know some that I missed and didn't list, please tell me. And if, you know, I've got really good listings for Dallas, but I don't know anybody in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, and those uh, listings are more meager. If you know someone, you got a Christian friend in Philadelphia, wherever, please tell them about us, let us know. The more resources we list in more places, the better we will be able. And one of our goals for next year is to begin to put together city coalitions of Christian leaders who say, what does it take to love and embrace the various communities that God has brought to our areas? As we do this, we'll close with this passage, we will be answering Jesus' prayer in John 17 and verse 21. Let's read this. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be one in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. 
This is the prayer of Jesus. Not that, that Christians would be one. Not that they would be divided by denomination, by country of origin, by language, or by any other thing. As we do the things that we've done, you will find, I have found, in the last four years, I have walked with giants. I have walked with Latino pastors, Nigerian pastors, Ethiopian, Russian, who are doing amazing works for God. And as we lay aside our denominations, our local church barriers, our language and ethnic barriers, we can build that unity. We can answer the prayer of Jesus. And as Jesus says, when you guys do that, the world will believe that you sent me. Folks, you, you know that there's ethnic tension out there. You know that racial reconciliation is a dream and just creates anger and division. But the church can be different. The church can be a place where we work through those things and learn to love one another. Let's pray. Woman Saitian Shang Defu, Wagan Sieni, Naga Dishong Zumayman, I, Taman Jungwar, and Yesher, I, Taman de Emin, Buguan Taman Song Nali Lida, Choni Ju Rang Taman. And so, Father, I pray for the people of Prairie Hill. I thank you that they love Eden Prairie and the world. And I ask that you give to them new vision, new burden, new zeal, to love those among them so that the Church of Jesus Christ in North America and so the Prairie Hill can be built up to the glory of God. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.